Okay, friends, the story begins. We are continuing the Amida, Amida part two, page 45 in our Siddurs. The Amida is the center or the essence, the climax of prayer. It really is. And because of that, it doesn't go without introduction. In fact, as we said last time, the entire sitter is an introduction, essentially, to get us into this space where we're ready to recite the Amida like we mean it. So the various verses of praise, the blessings that precede the Shema, the Shema, internalizing that God is one, and that there's a truth beyond what we see. We cover our eyes and we love God and we revere God. All of these blessings are a catalyst to get us to experience the Amida to its fullest extent, to its fullest meaning. And the way we described what the Amida is last week, not what the Amida is last week, the way we described, <laughs> you know, the guy, who, the broken English says, I, I threw my mother out the window a towel. <laughs> the way... <laughs> The way we last week, the way we described what the Amida is, we're asking for our needs, but the point is not our needs. The point is who we're. The point is not what we're asking for. The point is whom we're asking from. That's the main point of the Amida. We're asking for things, but the focus isn't the things. The focus is the provider of these things, the relationship with God, which is why numerous, dozens of times throughout the Amida, we refer to God as Ata in first person, you. That's the relationship that we're developing with the Amida. But in order to really start the Amida properly, there, there's this one liner right at the beginning of the Amida. My Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall declare your praise. In the Hebrew, Hashem, God, my lips open up, ufi, and may my mouth, yagid, convey or tell over your praises. What is the function of this one liner? I would like you to see this one liner when you open the sitter next time. See this as a meditation. Because that's what it is. It's a meditation to get us to um, a place where we can experience the full beauty of what the Amida is all about. Amongst various commentaries, there's a discussion as to what the function of this verse is. We we mentioned last week that the Amida was authored by Ezra toward the uh, right after the destruction of the first temple. While prayer informally always existed, once there was the destruction of the temple, Jews were dispersed and exiled. Uh, praying freestyle was more difficult. It was linguistically more difficult because Jews weren't speaking Hebrew anymore. They were speaking Aramaic and other languages. And spiritually, it was more difficult because without the Beit HaMikdash, we don't have that same inspiration, that same feeling of connection. So there had to be a concrete text of prayer. And that's when Ezra one of the last of biblical characters, Ezra, author, and, and together with his court, authored and officially compiled the Amida. 
But later on, the sages added this one liner. This one liner, Hashem's God, open up my lips so I can praise you properly, essentially. And commentaries discuss what the function of this meditation is. And what we're going to do for the next 25 minutes or so is discuss three perspectives, three meditations. And you'll have the opportunity to pick the one you most connect with. Sounds good? Okay. Let's start with the first one. Again, this isn't officially part of the original text of the Amida. It was added later by the sages. Where did they get that line from? It's a direct quote from the Book of Psalms. Tehillim. It's a verse that King David said. If you look in chapter 51 of Psalms, we recite it in the evening time Shema. right, And it's a powerful, powerful psalm. If you're ever feeling like you did something you shouldn't have and you, you're you feeling a little bit regretful you don't need to wait till Yom Kippur you can recite that psalm because that's what King David did that psalm is King David's supplication to God after he regretted the whole incident with Bathsheba King David married Bathsheba, and that's um, the famous quote-unquote sin that King David uh, did. Yeah, that, that's correct, John. That's why on days that there's no tachnun, on days that we don't do um, the confessionary prayer, we don't recite that psalm as well, right, on Shabbos and stuff like that. Now, whether or not King David sinned, how he sinned, how can somebody, so uh, how do we look up to somebody like King David if he sinned? And can we say about someone like a prophet like King David that he did sin is a whole discussion for another time. It's really a whole separate class. The Talmud has a whole discussion about it saying that King David didn't really sin and it seemed like he sinned. But if you dig into the text, you'll see that he really didn't sin. Fine, different discussion for a different time. But the reality is he at least portrayed to have regrets for marrying Bathsheba when he apparently felt like he shouldn't have. Certainly didn't look good. Right, Bathsheba was married to somebody else. King David saw through prophecy that her husband was destined to die, so he sent him into battle. Whole, whole separate story. The point is, King David had regrets. And in the book of Psalms, which is King David's praises to God, he expresses his regrets to God. And he essentially says, and I'm paraphrasing, that God, I want to talk to you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to have a connection with you. I don't feel like I can. Because my sin is just in front of me. It's stopping me. So he says, God, please open up my lips. Let my mouth declare your praise. I don't feel like I have it within me to connect. I need your assistance. I need your help. That's the biblical context of this verse. Similar to what the prophet Yeshayahu Isaiah says, that when, when one sins, it 
builds up this wall between us and God. Now, nothing can ever sever a connection between a Jew and God. We know that from Tanya. The connections are always there. But how conscious are we going to be of that connection? How aware are we going to be of that connection? And one of the worst things about sin, and this is the Hasidic perspective, is not so much what's going to happen if you do this or if you don't do this, but it's it's the result, the result of isolation, right? Nobody would ever say in a marriage, well, why shouldn't you? Your spouse doesn't like something, right? But what's going to happen if I do it? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> That's not how we think about in relationships. What we think about is how is this going to enhance or degrade the relationship? Is this going to isolate me or is this going to make me closer? And sin tends to isolate us from God. Just like undesirable behavior among spouses isolate each other, undesirable behavior to God gives us this feeling of isolation from God. That's not to say that we're not desired in God's eyes. On the contrary, we are desired. That's why he doesn't want us to do this. Right? There's certain things you don't want your spouse to do. You don't care if somebody else's spouse does it. <laughs> That's because you have a relationship. So there's certain things that are undesired by God. That's because he desires us. It's the beauty of sin. You have the opportunity to sin. It's beautiful. But pragmatically, it does build up distance. It builds this invisible wall where we are desensitized to our soul, desensitized to our connection. But we want to recite the Amida. We want to connect. We want to get the full meaning of connecting, not only getting our needs, but connecting to the provider of our needs. So just like King David, how do we start off this prayer? My God, open up my lips. I'm having trouble digging within to pray. Because of my deficiencies, because of my imperfections. But like King David, he was imperfect, but he begged, I still want to connect with you. I still want to pray and talk to you. We're doing the same thing. Meditation number one, even if we have deficiencies, things that are holding us back from connecting, we ask God, allow me to have this conversation with you so we can still connect. That's meditation number one. Story that just came to mind. Rabbi Shmuel Schneerson of Lubavitch. He was lived about, uh, let's say, a century and three quarters ago. One of the Rebbe's, the Chabad lineage. He was known as a very busy person. He had a very rigorous schedule, study schedule, and he was a community activist, and he had, he had a lot going on. And like most Rebbe's, waste no time. But spontaneously, gathered a couple of Chassidim and said, we're going on a trip to France, to Paris. Come with me. 
They quickly pack the wagon. They say, why are we going? Where are we going? What's going on? This was totally unexpected. Out of left field. Trust me. We're going. They get into the wagon. They show up to Paris. And they go to this famous hotel resort. It's probably still there. I don't know. I don't I've never been. But to, to Paris. It was this hotel that had a casino on the top floor. And this was pre-elevators, but they had people that would lift you up. It was a very fancy uh, formal hotel. And he books a room on the spot on the floor of the casino. They're in their room. He says, I'll be right back. He walks into the casino and the cinema are just like thrown off. What is going on? <laughs> Rabbi with a very rigorous st- schedule. A lot of good things to do. Drops his whole schedule. We're going to Paris. We're going to this resort. We're going to casino. He goes into the casino. What is going on? So what do you do when you're curious and your rabbi is doing something wacky? You follow from a distance so you could peek, right? He walks into the casino and there's a group of people playing cards. He sits down next to one of them. He whispers something into his ear and walks away. Comes back into his room. Now you got to understand what's going through the mind of this subject. You think you're at the casino playing cards and this sage pops up right next to you, (laughs) whispers something mysterious into your ear. What he said was, in Yiddish, and I'll trans uh, and then I'll I'll translate it into English. Yayin nesach is metamtim hamoyach vahalev. Non-kosher wine desensitizes the mind and the heart. And then he said, "Zayna yid be a Jew." Walks away, right? Disappears. Now you got to imagine what's going on with this dude. <laughs> what just happened? He's probably more confused than the Hasidim because I don't think he expected. <laughs> The rabbi goes back into his room. This guy's intrigued and starts looking for the rabbi. He's informed that that's where his room is. He knocks on the door. They have a very long conversation. The rabbi packs up. Goes home. This guy makes big changes in his life. Big, big changes in his life. And starts living more consistently with his values. To the point that his great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren are still perpetuating his values. His Jewish values that he adapted. Now, there's a lot you can learn from this story. That a rabbi cared about one person. That a rabbi had the sensitivity toward one person somehow. But the point of this story, in our context, is sin has the ability to isolate us. And we all have our deficiencies, our imperfections, but we can nevertheless dig within, dig deep within and say, I still want to be in Jew. God, I still want to have a relationship with you. I still want to have a conversation with you, just like King David did. He didn't let his deficiencies or imperfections stop him. Okay, meditation number two. Or before we move on, questions, comments, thoughts, reflections. Okay, reflection, meditation, number two. Explanation number two. What is this verse doing here? Pirke avos. 
the ethical section of the Mishnah. Part of the Mishnah that deals with Jewish values. Chapter 2. It says, don't make it your... Let, let's read inside. Take a look on page... Give me a second. Chapter 2, uh, paragraph 13. I'll tell you what page it is in a second, unless somebody finds it first. 276. Woo. Okay, good on you. Um, okay, 276. Thank you, John. Um, 13, toward the bottom of the page. You see it? Rabbi Shimon said, be meticulous in reading the Shema and in prayer. Shema and prayer both have their appointed times. Right? So be careful with the timing of the of, of the now when you pray, do not make your prayer a routine, perfunctory act, but rather entreaty for mercy and supplication before God. Okay. Since Ezra and his team, his court, uh, compiled the formal Amida, because that's what was necessary for the time and still necessary for our time, there's a drawback. You're saying the same thing every single day. We're reading the same thing every day. Pirkei Avos warns us, although you are saying the same text every day, you can still get new meaning out of it every day. We still need to get new meaning out of it every day. The words are the same, but the soul behind it, the experience behind it can be different every single day. Our Judaism values consistency. We should be doing things consistent. Praying should be consistent, but the quality of our prayer certainly should not be consistent. The quality of our prayer should be different every day. It should advance every day. It's very easy for prayer to become lip service. It's not only easy, it's natural, it's normal. Unless we do something about it. And we start by asking God, God, open up my lips and my mouth to declare your praise. I want to talk to you, I want to connect with you. Allow the text, although it was the same text as yesterday, allow the soul of the text, the kavana, the meaning, the intention, the experience to be different. Allow the conversation to be real and genuine. Something fascinating that I just read in connection to this week's Parsha. During the month of Adar, we read four special portions, right? Went through it out of an additional Torah scroll. And the last of them is the Parsha's HaChodesh, reading about the new month of Nisan. The very first mitzvah the Jewish people were given as a people. As individuals, the first mitzvah is be fruitful and multiply. Or, you know, there's various mitzvahs throughout the Torah. But the first mitzvah were given as a whole, as a people. Rosh Chodesh. To sanctify the new moon. And count the new moon. That's Rosh Chodesh Nisan. The month that Passover is in. We got this mitzvah while we were still in Egypt. Moses, uh, God tells Moses, tell the Jewish people, this month is going to be yours. 
This is one of the only mitzvahs that we were commanded, by the way, while in Egypt. While we're still in Egypt. We didn't even, most of the mitzvahs were commanded in the desert. On the way to Israel, on the journey to freedom, we're still in Egypt. We're still in confinement. But we have a mitzvah. Rosh Chodesh. HaChodesh HaZelachem. This Chodesh, this month, should be yours. What else does the Hebrew word Chodesh mean? It comes from the Hebrew word Chadash. New. And God is warning us, even though you're still in Egypt, your Judaism can still be fresh and new to you. We still have the ability to make it fresh and new, just like the month, the, the just like the moon, sorry, in which the months follow. The moon is constantly refreshing itself every single month. And as Jews, we have the, the ability to constantly refresh ourselves. And by the way, there's two ways to look at it. You could look at the moon as this repetitious, boring cycle. Or you could look at it as a renewal. It's all in the perspective. You want to know something fascinating? In a marriage document, in a ketubah, a ketubah has to have dates in it, right? The date of the marriage. And the month is referenced as the Hebrew word chodesh, which can also mean new. Because to keep a marriage alive, to keep our marriage with God alive, we have to see it as the cycle of renewal. A divorce document, I get... Also has months, but the the text that's chosen is not the Hebrew word chodesh, so, but actually yerach, which also means month, but it's a different word. Insinuating that the need for this divorce in the first place is because it wasn't there wasn't this renewal of energy when our relationship with God is not new. We're just reciting the prayers by route. We it's. We're just going through the cycle. That's the term for month, Yerach, that's used on a divorce document. But when our relationship is renewed, when we're constantly finding new ways to find meaning in the Amida prayer, there's new energy, and it's like a, a marriage, a lasting marriage. It's like a ketubah. So that's meditation number two. Prior to the Amida, I'm saying to myself essentially that I know that I'm going to be reciting the same text that I've been saying for the last who knows how long. But I still have the ability to find new meaning in it. The text is the same, but the soul behind it, the kavana behind it, the experience behind it can be very different. But I have to ask God for help. God, open up my lips. Let my mouth declare your praises. Okay, questions, comments, thoughts, reflections. Okay, uh, number, uh, yes, go for it. I was going to say just about the Perkyavos, about not making prayer perfunctory act. That's why sometimes I wonder about a lot of shuls, not just a vibe, but just any shul, any 
big minion I've been to, they they go so fast, it feels very perfunctory. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. It's a very good question. A very good point. Th this has to be a very individual thing. K Kavana is a very individual thing, individualized thing. We can all say the same text together. We can't all experience it in the same way together. That's something everybody has to kind of take responsibility for their own, on, on their own. That seems hard to do if you're part of the minion, you're trying to keep up with the minions. Yeah, it's it's difficult. Look, and especially in a situation where one is saying Kaddish, it's, it's difficult. But but otherwise, it's not the end of the world to start with the minion and, and go at your own pace. I'm just saying it, it seems easier to do when you're not part of a minion. You're saying if you're, yeah, if you're diving by yourself, it's easier. So it, it, there is that balance between you want the most personal meaning out of davening, yet you do want the benefits of being together with a community. And, and there is that balance. And you're right. It is a very, it, it is a fine line to walk. It is a fine line to walk and difficult to walk. And then they're both going to have their their benefits and their drawbacks, but uh, the best is to bridge the, the best of both worlds, and it's it's not easy. It's difficult. It's very difficult. Meditation number three. Everything that existed in the temple, in the base of Mikdash exists on a individual personal level as well because when god said make a, a temple so i could dwell in it he didn't just mean the physical structure he meant our own selves right the torah says Va'asuli mikdash, make for me a temple and i'll dwell in them the commentaries point out it doesn't say i'll dwell in it i'll dwell in them because god wants to dwell in everybody not just in a building but in the people our lives have the ability to become a, a, a dwelling for, for God. In the temple, the center of this was the altar. The sacrifices that were offered on the altar. The fire that would come and consume the sacrifices. But in the individual, what that represents is prayer. Prayer is a replacement for the sacrifices. The heart is the altar. The prayer are the sacrifices. And the passion that we gain from this, the energy, the vitality, that's the fire that would come down from heaven on that altar and consume the sacrifice. The animal that we're offering as the sacrifice is the animal soul. And we're hoping that it's going to catch on fire as the sacrifice would. It would get to, it's going to get a certain passion. That's why the beginning of prayer is done out loud. The verses of praise, the blessings that precede the Shema, the Shema. For the most part, I mean, you say it kind of quietly, but but it's not like the Amida where you say it totally quietly and inaudible to other people. It can be audible to other people because there's a certain passion and fire that goes along with it. But what's the indication? If you're praising God out loud, what's the indication? That you feel that there's a distance between you and God, which is why you need to be passionate and fiery. Right? What is love? Love is a desire to connect. 
The implication is that you are not fully connected to the extent that you want. And that's where love is taking you. Love means you're on the journey to connect. That's the beginning of prayer, which is out loud. Then comes the Amida. Quietly. Which represents the next part of the sacrifices, the water libations, which was done on Sukkot. There's this certain calm, quiet. Nobody else is supposed to hear your own silent private Amida. You don't need to scream out to God. Because you've entered his chambers. You're right there. You're right there close with him. That's why the Amida is silent. We've gotten beyond the passion. We've gotten beyond falling in love. We've gotten beyond all that. I'm not questioning or reaffirming whether or not I love God. <laughs> beyond that. Just connecting. And I'm so confident with my connection. I don't need to call out to God. He's right here. I just need to be silent. It goes so far as to say that the Talmud says, you'll get to this in Tractate Brachas, Mike, or maybe you got to this already. The Talmud says that somebody who prays the Amida out loud lacks faith. As if God is up there. <laughs> And he needs to be loud <laughs> because the whole point of the Amida is that God is it's silence because there's a certain calm, there's a certain confidence. Because I know God is right here. I'm comfortable with that. When we recite the Amida, we just entered the chamber of God. And if we experience this, if we go through this meditation, and experience what the Amida truly is, God is right there, we might be too silent. I'm going to start talking in front of God. I'm right here. I'm happy. I'm enjoying. I'm experiencing. Let me just be in the moment. How can I talk in front of God? To which we beseech God, God, open up my lips. And may my mouth declare your praise. Maybe I can't talk to God. Where am I going to get the vernacular, the words, the, the courage? We, maybe I think I'm already there. I'm already close with God. <laughs> we already have this deep connection. We're silent. It's not even that I'm in love with God. As if there was some sort of distance and love needs to pull us together. We're right there with each other. That's why we're not at the passion state anymore or at the silent stage and I still need God's help for this connection for this relationship to happen my Lord open up my lips and my mouth shall declare your praise that's my story and I'm sticking to it <laughs>